out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4 through 20. And what I love about the Anglican church is that you all read the scripture before I get up. So that doesn't take up part of my preaching time. So, uh, <laughs> so as we read this passage today, um, our text today drops us into this scene in the family of Elkanah, uh, who was a descendant of the priestly tribe of Levi. Uh, and as you can tell in the text, he had two wives. He had Hannah, he had Peninnah, and, and this was never God's design for marriage based upon Genesis chapter 2, 18 and 21 through 24. When I pastored, I had a guy try to theologically commu- communicate to me that he needed a second wife. Uh, not biblical uh, in that regard, uh, but it was common in this cultural practice to have a younger wife that might be able to conceive if for some reason the first wife was unable to bear children. And so Peninnah was likely a wife that uh, Elkanah married in order to be able to have children. So there was this commonly held view of childlessness in ancient Israel um, that it was a curse from God. And as a result, Hannah was the subject of bitter taunting from Panana. You can imagine every time they went up to worship, she would just talk about her kids and how much she loved her kids and how much Elkanah loved her kids. And there was just this constant taunting that she experienced. And so here we actually have a woman who is married to a man who clearly loves God. I mean, Elkanah went to worship consistently. He sacrificed to God consistently, and he clearly loves her. I mean, he's demonstrated it by giving this double portion every time they go to worship, and that double portion in part was to sacrifice, but also was in part to be able to eat. Like, she got more food uh, than his other wife. Hannah was loved by God. She was loved by her husband, but she lacked her heart's desire of having a son. And as we continue to read in the text, we experience her personal um, pain and her petitioning of God in this pain to give her the desires of her heart. Um, If I were to title today's message, it would be titled A Personal Petition. In the black church, that's when we would say it and you would say it after us, but I'm not going to make you do that. But I'm just giving you some context there. Uh, So many of us, like Hannah, have desires for things that are not evil. They're not wrong. Uh, We have desires that come from a good place. And that are natural to the human experience. Um, Those desires have not been met. And we actually have a choice of how we're going to handle that. Do we accept that our desires won't be met? That's a choice that you can make. Uh, Do we create solutions ourselves? Like Abraham when he lay with Hagar and conceived a child to manufacture God's promise for his life. That he would be the father of many nations. Do we make it happen for ourselves? Or do we take the route that Hannah took, which was to bring her pain and her petition to God in prayer? I'm often convicted by God because I have a natural tendency to think about what I need, to actively pursue what I need, to even complain about what I need, but not talk to God about what I need. And so this passage to me is personal, but also I think strategic in the season of the church where we are today, that we not use our ability to get what we need from God but that we literally go to God and ask him to give us what we need or we desire. Uh, I've heard that it's often challenging in America for us to trust God at the levels that people in other parts of the world can because we don't need God. We have credit cards. You know, <laughs> we don't need God. We have health insurance. Um, we, we, we don't need God. We have a roof over our head. Like when I went to Kenya, I met people that if God didn't do it, it wasn't getting done. And so there's a sense of faith in Uh, persistence that often we struggle with when we live in a nation of plenty. So in verses 10 and 11, the Bible gives Hannah's personal petition. And I I, I want you to hear it as I share it. And 
I want to glean some ideas from it that hopefully will be helpful for you in your prayer life. Uh, Verses 10 and 11 says she was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. But will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And so a couple of things I want to highlight about her petition. First of all, I want to highlight Hannah's vulnerability. Hannah was not ashamed to be vulnerable with God concerning how she felt. The scripture says that she was deeply distressed and wept bitterly. These are not small words. These are deep emotions. She was so distressed that she did not eat. Now, that's a lot of distress because I don't care how stressed out I am. I'm going to eat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, She didn't try to act like she had it all together or that she was happy or content with her situation. On the Enneagram, I'm a seven, which means I often push through pain and make light of everything. So it's like, oh, man, it's okay. I mean, being broke is not as bad as being broke, bro. (laughs) (laughs) She was in corporate worship, and so she could have easily tried to suppress her emotions and do what many of us do, fake it till you make it. Uh, and suppress those emotions. But she chose to do the complete opposite. She brought her entire heart's desire to God. Many of you all may have heard of Brene Brown, who is like the vulnerability expert of our generation. She's a professor at the University of Houston and a guest professor at the University of Texas. Um, She's written various books and has one of the top TED Talks in history. Uh, And she's an extremely popular podcast. She is who I want to be when I grow up. Um, Anyway, so Brene says... Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. Most of us like to show up in places where we know what the results are going to be. But true vulnerability says, I show up when I can't control the outcome. So Hannah courageously shows up um, when she has no control over whether or not God is going to give her a yes to her prayer. Brene also says to be vulnerable means to show up and be seen to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, and to have hard conversations. Wow. To show up, be seen, ask for what you need, talk about how you're feeling, and have a hard conversation. That's a big check to try to cash in most of our relationships. Most of us don't show up as who we really are. We don't fully want to be seen. Uh, We don't really ask for what we need because we don't want to offend or overstep. And then we don't really talk about how we're feeling because are my feelings valid? Are my feelings real? Will they respect my feelings? And then we don't like to have hard conversations. My former pastor used to always tell us, we'll never be more intimate with others than we are with God. If we struggle to show up and ask for what we need from the all-powerful God, we will likely not ask for what we need from our community, who are mere humans. If we struggle to talk about how we're feeling with God, who already knows all about us, we'll likely struggle to honestly talk about how we're feeling with others. If we struggle to have hard hard conversations with God, who can handle it? We will likely avoid hard conversations with others. God wants us to be vulnerable with him in a way that helps us to be vulnerable with others. In our church, When we pastored for nine years, we used to always say at the end of the sermon, there's an app for that. 
you know, because there's an app for everything, right? So I'm going to share a few apps, applications for us as we go throughout today's sermon. I want you to write these down. Here's the first one. On a scale of one to five, how vulnerable would you say you are with God? Have you shown up to God consistently? Have you allowed yourself to be seen by God? Have you asked for what you needed? Have you talked about how you're feeling? Have you had any hard conversations with God lately? If you struggle with being vulnerable with God, I want to encourage you to read the Psalms. You had a whole book, all 150 of them. Um, David was a master of vulnerability in communicating um, his concern with God. David had these Psalms called imprecatory Psalms, which is kind of like get them God Psalms. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't have that get them God in me. Like I'm not, I struggle to be angry with people. I struggle to not forgive people. I struggle to have an imprecatory Psalm in me. But I think there's a biblical part of our lives where we are called to ask God to like deal with our enemies. I don't like doing that, but I think it's part of the way God has created us and called us to say, God, I'm not going to deal with them. But if you're just, you want to handle that? <laughs> and that's a hard conversation for me to have with God because I just want God to bless everybody. I want God to forgive everybody because he's blessed me. He's forgiven me. I want everybody to experience God's grace because I know how much his grace has blessed me. And so I have to learn to sit in the combination of God's grace, but also God's justice. The second component of her petition is Hannah's vow. The Bible says that Hannah vowed a vow to the Lord. She's the only woman in scripture that we read of who is recorded to formally make a vow uh, to the Lord. And her vow, which simply is defined as like a solemn promise to God, incorporated a number of components. First of all, she said, O Lord of hosts. This is her reminding God of who he is. Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, the Lord who is mighty in battle. When you pray, I ask you, petition you to pray by starting with who God is. Because it totally changes your perspective and what you're willing to ask for. When I start listing the characteristics of God, when I start naming him by all of the names that we read in the Old Testament, uh, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Sikhanu, our righteousness, uh, Jehovah Nisi, our banner, Jehovah, I don't know the rest of them. But when I start using these names, it's like, man, God, you can handle whatever I'm about to say. She goes on and she says, look on the affliction of your servant. She's reminded, uh, reminding God of her relationship with him as her, as her relationship with him as she is his servant. So this is not a transactional ask. This is not a Burger King ask. I'm going to give you 541, you're going to give me a Whopper with fries and a small Coke Zero. This is not transactional. It's a relational ask. She's also reminding him of her predicament of having a long-term affliction of barrenness. She's been patient in affliction, as Paul encourages us to do in Scripture. And so we know that it was a long-term affliction because the Scripture said earlier and when they went to sacrifice, she was taunted year after year by Peninnah. She was not asking to be delivered from something that happened that morning. She had endured. This was not a short-term challenge. She was saying, God, this has been long enough. Can you please give me a child? She goes on to say, remember me and not forget your servant. Have you heard anybody ever use a double negative where they say, I don't not want to go to the game? She said, God, remember me? And if you don't understand the word remember, don't forget me. Her, I, God is obviously omniscient. He's all-knowing, so he literally cannot forget her. But what she's saying is, notice the affliction I've been through. Notice my deep desire to have a son. God, feel my pain. Feel my passion. Then she shares a specific request. And this is something I've learned with God. He wants us to be specific, like to say exactly what we need 
And when we confess, to confess exactly what we've done in sin. You know, you can be like, God, forgive me for lusting. Or you say, God, forgive me for looking at her like I should have been looking at my wife. There's a difference. Oh, we got quiet. Okay. So specific request. Um, that wasn't in my notes. I won't do that at 11. Okay. So she specifically asked. She specifically asked God for a son. She didn't say, God, give me a child. She said, God, give me a son. She knew the cultural value of having a male child to carry on the family name, to uh, possibly care for her if Elkanah um, was to die before she did. But most of all, she wanted a male child so that he could serve in the house of the Lord, because in her culture, only a male could serve as a Levitical priest. And then she shares this promise with God. She says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor will never touch his head. She was saying, God, I will re-gift to you the gift that you give me and I will set him apart in the Nazarite tradition where he won't drink alcohol, he won't cut his hair. It was a sign of dedication to God and his purpose. Throughout scripture, we read of vows being made to the Lord. And the key to a vow that we make to the Lord is this. It's our commitment to do what we say we're going to do in faith, even if God chooses not to do what we're asking for. It's a vow that balances our heart and our intention while we trust the heart of a loving God. Here's why the enemy wants to destroy your view of fatherhood and destroy your view of family. So that when you come to God with a request, you won't trust his heart. The breakdown of the family in our world is a strategic plan of the enemy to keep us from trusting the heart of God. Because when my kids ask me for candy at 8.30 in the morning, I say no. Because I know breakfast is more important than candy. It's a loving no. And in America, we struggle with the loving no's that God gives us. So here's the application question to this one, the app. What vows have you made to God or what vows do you need to make to God in this season of your life? In a very non-committal culture, we need to learn how to make commitments. And some of those need to be commitments that we make to God. No matter whether he decides to do what we're asking him to do or not. We're committing based on the relationship. Thirdly, uh, Hannah's vision was amazing. Hannah had a vision for what she desired and she communicated it to God so passionately that Eli misunderstood her heart and her intention. She was praying so passionately without being loud. Like there were no words coming out of her mouth, but her mouth was moving. And she did that without AirPods in her ears. So people had no idea... <laughs> and she was talking to God. Have you ever seen that? You walk to somebody, you hear them talking on the airpod, and you think they're talking to you, and they're not. They're not talking to you. That's the way I get with praying, get away with praying in public, like in public places. I walk around, I'm praying, but I have earpods in, so people think I'm just on the phone. <laughs> so she didn't have that. She didn't have that. So they're like, she must be drunk. She's talking to herself. She was able to paint this picture of her pain by saying, "I'm a woman troubled in my spirit." That is a deepest part of who you are. She said, I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She painted a picture in a way that it got the prophet Eli's attention. And he granted her this blessing. He said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, the people perish. Other translations say, without a prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. When we don't have a vision to guide us, we will naturally drift. It's like driving a car with alignment issues. If you let go of the wheel, you just drift into the median. Without a direction for what we need from God, for what we desire from God, for, for what we need for our family, what we desire for our family, for what we need for our career, we will just find ourselves drifting. 
The Bible talks about in James that a person who is double-minded, likes to accept two opinions, is unstable in all their ways. There's like this constant instability. Okay, do I believe in this or do I not believe in this? Do I trust God or do I not trust God? Is God good or is God not good? Is God faithful or is God not faithful? And so she had a vision. She said, this is what I want. This is my desired end in mind. And the vision motivated her to go before God and ask for what she desired, no matter what others thought or perceived. Her vision of a desired future gave her the strength to wait patiently between the petition and the provision. And that's the challenge I often have in my prayer life is waiting between petitioning and God actually giving me what I need. So here's the app for this. What is the vision that you need to bring to God in your prayer life? Do you need to pray that God will help you as a husband to lead your family spiritually? Because a lot of times as men, we feel intimidated to lead spiritually because we may not feel as equipped to lead spiritually because we may not be as smart as our wives. Um, We may not be as verbal as our wives. We may not be as emotional as our wives. In a lot of ways, we interpret our spiritual experience in America as more feminine than masculine. The words traditionally feminine. Can you say masculine in America in 2021? Um, And so a lot of times men are like, I don't know if I can pray out loud because if I pray out loud, my wife might think he doesn't know what he's saying. I don't know if I can sing this song because I sing in the key of Z and not I don't know if I can do this consistently, so I won't try. Because here's things men do not like to do. Fail. So why set the expectation that I'm going to leave my family spiritually if I know I can't do it consistently? So maybe we need to ask our God, give me the steadfastness to lead my family spiritually. Maybe you need a vision for your children that they will be who God created them to be and not who you want them to be. That you can accept the personality that your child has that is just like your spouse that you do not like. (laughs) And let them be quiet. Let them be loud. Let them be outgoing. Let them be reserved. Let them be an introvert. Let them be quirky. Because it's not your reputation on the line. Maybe you need a vision for your career that God will give you a passion for what you're called to and you desire passion and not just a paycheck. Because if you pursue your passion over time with purpose, you will produce a paycheck, at least in America. You know, in other parts of the world, it doesn't work. But in America, that that kind of works out. Do you need to give God a vision or talk to God about a vision for your purpose? God, why am I here now? I know you as my Savior. I started to discover who I am as myself. But who are you calling me to be in this season? Maybe you're newly married. God, what does it look like to pursue my purpose now as a new husband? I'm so used to doing life on my own. God, what does it look like for me as a person with young children to be able to lay aside my desires to serve these little people that can't even wipe themselves? What does it look like for me to pursue the purpose that you have for me in retirement? For 30 years, God, I have been going to work every day knowing what to do. And now my coffee break breaks. It's like all day long. What do you want me to do? Without a vision, we go left. And then finally, um, Hannah's victory. This is the the part where I would get excited in the black church and start hooping. Um, And I just might. Oh, we don't have no people. Okay. Okay, so Hannah said, here's Hannah's victory. Hannah returns to her community in faith, and she demonstrates her faith with action. James chapter 2, 26 says, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith. He says, I'll show you uh, my faith by my works. So she walked in faith by choosing to eat 
and changing her countenance. If it was today, she would move beyond a salad to like a burger and fries, and she would put some makeup on. You know what I'm saying? She's like, I don't want you to think I'm suffering anymore. She walked in faith by rising early in the morning and worshiping God. She walked in faith by returning home with her husband, Elkanah, and lying with him, trusting that the same God who closed her womb would open her womb. I don't know if anybody's ever been through fertility issues, but there is a stress in being intimate when you struggle to reproduce. There's like this, what if I fail again? And there's all this internalized stuff like, man, am I not good enough to do this? Like, women struggle, what's wrong with my body? Men struggle, what's wrong with my manhood? She was going through all that, but she walked in faith. She could have told Okada, don't touch me no more. Because I don't want to deal with the rejection. She walked in faith by waiting for God's timing to conceive. I don't know that it was the first month that she got pregnant. I don't know if it was the second month. It could have been a year, two years, three years. She walked in faith by carrying her son to term and giving birth. Any mothers out there know that giving birth is faith. When I watched my wife have my first daughter, I said, man, I'm never doing this to you again. That's some faith, man, to walk in a room knowing that What's normally zero centimeters is supposed to grow to 10 centimeters and a whole human is supposed to come out. That's faith, y'all. With works. She walked by faith by naming him Samuel, which means the name of God, or he is God. God answered her prayer, and she was going to give him back to God so that he could serve God. Because Hannah chose to petition God and see him as her ultimate source, she gained victory over the shame that she had. She gained victory over doubt. She gained victory over lack. She gained victory over barrenness. She gained victory over fear. She gained victory over her self-defeating self-talk. Hannah's victory was not only for her, but it was for her husband, O'Connor, who loved her and desired to have children for her. It was for Eli, who was blessed to mentor and develop Samuel. It was for her son, Samuel, who would be a prophet to anoint kings Saul and David. It was for us as believers who would read this story thousands of years later. So here's the app for this section. When God gives you victory over your personal petition, who will benefit from that answered prayer? Because here's the thing. God doesn't do stuff just for you. He's doing stuff for you so that he can get the glory. The Bible says in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Your test is designed to produce a testimony. Your mess is designed to produce a message. So God isn't doing it just to give you what you need. He's doing it so that you can tell other people about it and they can know that he can do it for them. I can tell testimony after testimony of the victories that I've experienced after being vulnerable with God and giving God a vow and having a vision of a desired future. But if I did that, you guys would be here all day long. We would miss the Cowboys game at noon. <clears throat> so let me just share one testimony of this experience from my wife and I. We got married on June the 7th, 2003, 1 o'clock Central Time, zip code 75093. I'll never forget it. Amazing day. And um, as we got married, you know, her mom had her at 19 years old. So we were like, we're going to wait a little bit to have kids. So we said five years is about how long we want to wait. And that was like a cool time. So after five years of being intentionally not getting pregnant, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, we made intentional choices to not get pregnant. Some hard choices for me as a man. Uh, and so over time, after five years, I said, well, let's just, let's just see what happens. And let's just take every barrier away that is keeping us from getting pregnant. Let's see what happens. That was 2008. We didn't get pregnant in 2008, 2009, 2010. Three years, nothing happened. 
Well, now we eight years in the marriage, you know, bro, getting old. I'm like, can we go and get this thing going? <laughs> February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2011. My wife comes up to the office. I'm writing a sermon. She says, Corey, I'm pregnant. I'm like, what? Valentine's Day, you pregnant? How cool is that, right? We got a love child. It's a love day. It's like lovely, you know? Four weeks later, uh, my wife is celebrating her mom's 50th birthday. I was at my dad's pastor's appreciation. She calls me and says something's wrong. I'm like, you good. You know, you always think something's wrong. You're all right. You good. Everything good. Seven, right? Everything good. Everything good. We good. We go to the doctor that Monday morning. They do a sonogram. Fetus isn't moving. They're like, baby's been gone for a couple weeks now. We're like, I remember driving on speakerphone, calling my mom, saying we lost the baby. And my mom had been through five miscarriages. Four, had my brother, another one had me. So I knew she would get it, because I'm proof that God can do something after a miscarriage. So, and we were pastoring people who had gotten pregnant three weeks before us. So they're leading worship pregnant, and I'm preaching with a dead child. And through that pain, I said, God, we want a baby. That was 2011, no baby. 2012, no baby. June the 7th, 2013, 10th wedding anniversary. We're going to a uh, weekend to remember marriage retreat. We're sitting at the Cheesecake Factory. I'm eating chicken and biscuits and drinking raspberry lemonade. Anybody ever had the raspberry lemonade at Cheesecake Factory? Oh, my God, it's so good. You can get a sugar high from that lemonade. Okay, so there I am. My wife says, look at your phone. I said, I'm not looking at my phone because that is like a, a fight that is about to start, you know? I'm like, I don't look at my phone when I'm with you. We don't do that. <laughs> she said, look at your phone. I was like, I'm not looking at my phone. <laughs> I thought literally she was trying to start a fight so we could make up, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, that's what you want. You want some conflict to create intimacy. All right, all right, Gary Smiley, I got you, okay. No, she said, seriously, look at your phone. I look at my phone and she sent me a picture of a positive pregnancy test. And it said, happy 10th anniversary with 10 fingers and ten toes. I said, we're pregnant? She said, no, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I said, no, the terminology is we're pregnant. She said, I'm the one about to throw up. I'm pregnant. <laughs> and so we're excited but scared. And the first thing we did was go to our church and tell them. Because they tell you, don't say nothing until you get to 12 weeks. We're like, no, nah, we need y'all to pray. We had a 10th wedding vow renewal, announced that we were pregnant. And we had everybody praying. We brought our community into it from a vulnerability perspective because we figured if we lose this one, we're going to need some help. So we go through the pregnancy at 12 weeks. We get to the sonogram. And we had to do sonograms every week because she had an RH positive, RH negative antibody based on the previous uh, uh, miscarriage. And so we're doing sonograms every month. We get to that 16th week sonogram. And they say, you're having a little girl. First thing I said was, oh, man, I got to pay for a wedding. I don't know why that's the first thing I said. <laughs> it's just what came out. It's just, it's just came out. It's 20 weeks, you know, everything's going well. 28 weeks, good. 32 weeks, we're seeing the formation of this fetus in, in the womb. And 40 weeks, my daughter's chilling in the womb like, I'm not coming out. You know what I'm saying? Go through a whole nother week. She still isn't coming out. So we induce labor. My wife is in labor for 22 hours and 18 minutes with no epidural. That's why I say I'm never doing this to you again, you know? And uh, she delivered our daughter, Anaya Naomi, February 21st, 2014, at 4.18 a.m. And I, like Hannah, wrote a song. Anaya means God is answered. 
And the song, when, when the baby came out, I pulled up my phone and started playing the song, which is not fair to women. Because when you have a kid, your body produces a huge amount of hormones. And there's this euphoria. The baby's on her chest, and she hears, Anaya Naomi, God has answered our prayer. We prayed for you, and now you're here. Anaya Naomi, God has answered our prayer. We prayed for you, and now you're here. And then the, the next part goes, we give you, this was our vow, back to the Father. We promise to love and support one another. We give you. And I couldn't do all of that at the moment because I was crying, right? So I get through, I was like, Anaya, Naomi, God has answered our prayer. We prayed for you, and now you're here. As I got older, I was singing to sleep with that song. And she lives every day knowing she was God's answer to our prayer. That is purpose on steroids. A testimony that makes a kid say, I'm supposed to be here. How many places do we go in the world today where we feel like, I ain't supposed to be here. I don't fit in. God said, I wanted you to, I let you experience the law. You can appreciate the gift. I don't pray miscarriage on anyone. 50% of first-time pregnancies in a miscarriage. But something about having a kid on the backside of that. And then five years later, having another one. Karis Don, Grace, who saved our marriage. <laughs> Probably. Um, so I don't know what you need to petition God for today. But I'm going to challenge you to get vulnerable. I'm going to challenge you to make a vow. I'm going to challenge you to ask with specificity. Get a vision for what you want to trust God for. And then trust his sovereignty to answer according to his will for your good. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your father in heaven give you what you have asked for? Matthew 7, ask and shall be given. Seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be open. I could ask for a baby, but I had to do more than ask. I had to seek. I had to lay hands on my wife, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, I had to knock on doors. Ask other people who had been through a loss. How did you get through this? And the result is a testimony of God's goodness and his grace. A personal petition. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. That this week they would get intentional about talking to you. That they would be vulnerable with you and share their heart. That they would make a vow to you and not be afraid to commit to doing something for you, even if you don't do something for them. God, I pray that you would give them a vision for what you desire their lives to be like. That you would give them a vision for their marriage, a vision for their singleness, a vision for their children, a vision for their career, a vision for their purpose. And ultimately, God, I pray that you would give them biblical victory where they can look up and say if God had not done it, it would not be done thank you for the gift of prayer that you tore the veil from the top to the bottom and you gave us direct access to you through your son Jesus so may our prayer lives be rich this week as we have our personal petitions in Jesus name, amen